Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Of Poetry Podcast with the poet Shelley Wong. Shelley Wong is the author of As She Appears from Yes Yes Books, published this month, May 2022, and winner of the 2019 Pamit River Prize. Her poems have appeared in American Poetry Review, Best American Poetry, Kenyan Review, and New England Review. Shelley is the recipient of the Pushcart Prize and of fellowships from Kundaman, McDowell, and Vermont Studios Center. She's an affiliate artist at Headland Center for the Arts and lives in San Francisco. Hello and welcome, Shelley. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to talk about as she appears with you today. Would you like to start us off with a poem? Yes. Thank you. Too yellow. Your orb over the Pacific casts a glittering runway. You are unfairly suspect as peril, a fever. Though you are as chill as lemonade, dangling from trees with the ease of a summer spent on a porch swing. Ladies make linen A-line dresses out of pineapple print, reclining in your sun though it blinds and burns them. Dear Yellow, you have never covered my body. I leave your light in the dark. At 17, I saw a film with a heartbreaker girl, only wore green, so my colors turned verdant. When you appear on the face of books, I ask why is it always you? Last spring, I bought a yellow purse and hope that it will turn heavy with gold. I am still learning to hold certain illuminations, like how quiet is strong and often beautiful. No longer green, I write you to learn your minor keys. My people are rising. We are the new names, the ones we have always known. Thank you. It's beautiful. So I mentioned before we started recording how um, I've been talking with my students about color in their poems and um, been thinking about Dorothea Lasky's essays on color, um, poetry and color, and um, how she talks about the importance of HG's work for imagism and these these beautiful colors, you know, the violet, and I always think of those, the purples and whites in, in HD. And, and then she kind of does this tracing of color through HG to Sappho um, and to Ann Carson's, of course, translations of, of Sappho and if not winter, um, and, you know, the, the hyacinth I always think of, or the, again, the violet and the white. And, um, and so I just thought this was I'd just love to hear your thoughts on, in general, on color and poetry, and also um, some, if you wanted to talk some about the work that's being done into, into yellow, where it's really an address poem, it's, it's almost like a letter, um, and it's less about touching on an image than about, you know, the whole color, and I think what comes into it for me, and I'm being long-winded here, but is, you know, the history, like there's so much, there's so much context to yellow, right? 
Yeah, thank you so much for that. I'm I'm looking forward to reading that essay and I love that it goes all the way back to Sappho. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I think I've always been interested in color uh, going back to fashion. Mm. And I grew up in the 80s, which was a very colorful time in Southern California. Mm. And as a introvert child, I was drawn particularly to fashion and with that color as a form of expression and feminine femme transformation. I was also mm. really into Madonna, who I see as mm. my, my other Leo mother. Um, <laughs> and in terms of the book, color became a way of moving into feeling and presence after a long relationship where there was a lot of silence and isolation. And mm -hmm. so I think I was particularly drawn to ways in which color in the landscape could have an emotional resonance mm -hmm. and connection to the self and being in the world outside of the domestic and intimate spaces with people and just a return to being in the world and returning to a more deeply inhabited sense of being. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that I think that brings together the kind of um, like I, I love the title Department of the Interior, too, which is on the opposite page from Two Yellow. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, you know, I, I just love the, the play on that title, too. Right. Because, you know, there's something absolutely about the in interior in um, as she appears that you're so interested in. And it's you, you're always moving between conceptions of relationship and interiority and um two poets I just kept thinking about the whole time um I was thinking about Richie Hoffman's work and I was thinking about Sandra Lim's work mm -hmm. and um that it has they both have this absolute in intentionality and it, I often feel like everything's supposed to be in their poems. That's, you know, it's like, like I never really know if everything's, is everything in my poem supposed to be in my poem, but with them, I feel that it is, right? Um, and, you know, poets that kind of pay attention to the self, um, the self's loneliness and um, self's sensitivities and, um, and even in specifically oh in private collection as well right the the moment where um the moment where there is a photograph she would photograph me when I looked away from her as I glanced at the curves of the grantee like it's this moment of knowing the other one is looking at you that, you know, it's like the different layers. And I think that that's something it's so, it's so visual art, 
like I feel like it's such a presence of um, visual art in your work through poetry that I really, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, you're an ecstatic poet. Like, no, I'm not saying that. Um, but it's, you know, something that I also feel in those other poets' work as well. Well, wonderful. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's an honor to, to be in conversation with, with their work. And I appreciate you saying that about the Department of the Interior. You know, you put these poems together and sometimes you don't see the echoes. So mm. now I'm seeing like the rainbow, 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 mm. Elizabeth Bishop yes. um, moment in Department of Interior leading to the two yellow. Um, and going back to your earlier question for that poem, I was really uh, thinking about yellow and its long history. Um, something unusual about me is that I'm fourth generation Chinese American. So my great grandparents came through San Francisco, um, you know, which is sort of the original yellow peril, which we're still seeing the echoes mm -hmm. of today. And I have this sort of ambivalent relationship with yellow because of that history. And mm -hmm. there's different waves of Asian Americans and how they feel towards yellow. You know, some people try to are reclaiming yellow, um, like yellow power. Um, but for me, I, yeah, I go back and forth. I, maybe because I'm middle-aged and <laughs> I've just seen like all the different ways and just like, oh, can we just move on from yellow for now? <laughs> um, Mm -hmm. but yeah then it kind of moves in the end towards this sort of acceptance towards yellow as gold and mm -hmm. its legacy um and also bringing in green which is a color I love more um and that moment coming from seeing great expectations with Alfonso Cuaron as the director and Gwyneth Paltrow wearing this like fabulous tonic Karen, green wardrobe. Mm. Everyone wears green because it's Alfonso's favorite color wow. in that film. Um, and that really attracted me. I still love, yeah, a lot of my tour wardrobe is green because mm. <laughs> I just felt like that's the color of spring that I mm. want to inhabit. Um, so yeah, I have like this very personal relationship to colors mm. that I wanted to explore. And then draw it back to how there's such a deep history of Asian Americans in the US um, and wanting to celebrate and honor that in the poem. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for bringing that up. I read the poem and I loved thinking with it. And then it was this morning when I realized like the color yellow, like that it has, it has that history, right. Of, um, colonialism and racism. And it, you know, it blew me away. And I mean, I always, there's moments of like privilege, right. That I could just read that like white privilege and, and not think of, not think of that at all. And just be like, Oh, is this meditation with yellow? Yes. I'm here for this, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, um, and it didn't, of course, like then rereading it and reflecting on your final lines, um, it, it does absolutely change the reading of the poem. Um, and that's so hard when, when language is going through its, um, 
it's changes and when there are reclaiming of, of words um you know. yeah. yeah and also in the same one as peril is, is fever and always i feel especially as a, a queer asian american woman you know and always questioning just like my own desires and why certain people may or may not desire me that's always something that's another layer of um being perseived or misseen yeah 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 oh, that is I was I was thinking about the word queer as we were talking because um it's still a word that makes my mother pretty upset um, mm-hmm. and I use it as a positive and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah that's another thing with the reclaiming of the language and I think there are some um of the older generation who still feel that they don't identify as queer because yeah they're they're gay yeah. or lesbian yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um it made me realize it yeah that there's what might be more of a history there than I understand um mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's always, you know, so when you, when you have a color in your poem, right? Like, um, I mean, I think of this, it was Fanny Howe, who I heard her say once that anytime you have the word God in a poem, it like destabilizes everything around it. But I feel like the more you sit with language, that's like every word. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, oh, it's colors, right? It's all these, (laughs) like when you actually sit with the history of a word and Mm -hmm. and they've they've been through so much more life than you have um, and the way language is bigger than you, than any one person, right? Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah. And I I feel like this is a, um, a presence throughout as she appears. I mean, this is something you, you absolutely acknowledge. Um, I do. Okay. So two things, I want to note that your beautiful blurbs, um, which you have from Mary Shebus, Ocean Vong and Diana Koi Nguyen on the back. Um, I was so interested in the words, um, tender repeating, uh, the word gentle, quietly like when you read the blurbs they were such a chorus together of 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 reading right um and I was like you like you know you kind of knew the tone of the book you were getting into before you even opened the book which I thought was really kind of important um work and then you also have this beautiful um epigraph from Muriel Ruckheiser um the yes, we had heard music together. Yes, we had gone to the sea together. And I, I can't remember the title of that poem. Is it? Uh, looking at each other. Looking at, I thought it was like the yeah. echo of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, we were looking at each other. Which when, you know, as soon as I opened a book, I was like, oh, queer epigraph. Yes, like this. Um, and so, um, and I didn't, I didn't know the speaker's relationship to this epigraph. And so I was like, what is this supposed to be doing here? Like, um, I, of course, I love the, the sea and the music and um, yes, it threw waves across our lives. Like it's so evocative and I think it fits um, with your like coastal presence, like in the West coast, it fits with what you're doing, um, with landscape and, um, environment on the East coast. Like, um, so it was really, I think it was like exciting to see the work that can be done with an epigraph. Like there's that proverb, um, 
a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. You know, it just has that like, like look how a poet can place language and position the reader so thoughtfully. Like if you can sit with the language and see that. Um, and, you know, someone who doesn't know Ruckheiser might look them up after reading your book and then have a whole different, like they will come to Ruckheiser through Wong, right? And so it's like, yeah. it's so cool. Like, I love, I love paratext. I do. Yeah. Yeah, that came in at the end. I thought about having an epigraph, like, wasn't sure of the right one. And Kimberly Gray, uh, years ago, tweeted this poem on Twitter. It's like, oh. Sometimes you're on Twitter at the right time. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, what is this amazing poem that I've never read before? Yeah. And yeah, I felt that I have about four poems that uh, reference a, a relationship. But in the end, I thought I wanted one sort of that has that, that snapshot time lapse of the relationship that came before. Um, as the entry point into the collection, which is the post-relationship um, mm -hmm. time. Although there is some reflection, but yeah, I thought to have this as two women in a relationship over time. Mm -hmm. And the, the full poem is as much sexier. I thought maybe that was too much for an opening, <laughs> but there's a lot going on in those ellipses, which I encourage everyone to look up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I also like imagine that that presence is also there. Like, yeah. So, yes. yeah. Yes. No, I think that's so well done. So well done. Um, ellipses included in, I mean, I think too, with your dedication, right? Um, to the quiet, sis for the quiet sisters. Um, and in the way that was echoed in your blurbs, I just, I felt like the language was just so, um, reflective and it was like calling back in in different ways like your paratexts are, are just so strong I think um and I'm just like oh look what you can do <laughs> this is, I'm so um, glad yeah I'm so I'm so grateful yeah for their, their kind words and yeah it was interesting to see which adjectives come up um mm -hmm. but yeah it definitely it feels very moving to be to be understood and and read with such generosity and care um I definitely wanted it to be a gentle tender journey and one of intimacy I really wanted to write the poems that I had wanted to have as a younger person hmm. um as a a queer woman of color a queer woman of color in a relationship with another woman of color yeah and um, also speak to uh, being the queer woman outside of a relationship and mm -hmm. being in the world and trying to make sense of the world and of the self apart from love um, and other relationships. Um, so yeah, I think that there was a kind of a lot of multifaceted looking and thinking mm -hmm but always wanting it to be an intimate, careful consideration that, um, yeah, felt yeah. very tender towards the reader as a, a trusted person on this journey. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that for me ties into two different things, which is, um, I mentioned earlier that I was kind of interest, interested in the pairings of, of queerness and quietness. Um, and that, you know, with great intentionality, your book positions itself, you know, it, it or I would say it, it doesn't position itself as like an outwardly facing queer text, right? Like a reader might not know that from the blurb. So you might not know that from the epigraph if they don't know Rookheiser or, um, and so I think it's like, that's such an important, um, right? That, that literature does many things, that there are many, many ways of um, approaching queerness in, in writing and, um, you know, as many different ways as there are people. And um, so the queerness and the quietness um, for thinking about how we live a life and that there's, you know, there's no right, perfect way, right? It's, um, and then the visual art and the voyeurism. And I think that that can tie into the quietness too. Um, would, would you like to read, um, or would you please read Private Collection? Sure. Thank Absolutely. you. Private Collection. At the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the ocean drawn in pencil is no longer on display. I once thought I could wreck that water. My partner liked a painting of a blonde woman reading a newspaper, a sister to a Dutch painting I admired back in New York, where a woman contemplates a water pitcher in cathedral light. We walked gallery to gallery and no women resembled us. I'm charmed by certain French words, but forget what they mean and never properly pronounce them. Melange, dérogueur, occurrent. Sometimes couples become echoes of one another. We wore quiet glasses, our hair and low ponytails like George Washington. She would photograph me when I looked away from her as I glanced at the curves of the Grand Tetons, the raised head of the Greek caryatid locked in the British Museum, a winter forest floor somewhere in Oregon when we were 19 and I couldn't meet the camera's gaze, though I knew she was there and that she would hold me from a distance. Thank you. The um, the quiet glasses and our hair and low ponytails. Um, I've been on a Sally Rooney binge lately, and um, something I love about her work is like that attention to. It's not describing everything. It's just describing like the these like perfect like it's genuinely style like these perfect style moments mm -hmm. that then like create this whole picture and um they're somehow always like so intimate and 
it's always right it's not just a ponytail it's like a low ponytail um it's not just glasses they're quiet glasses like there's always some and it reminds me of like the ann carson like we know where nouns and isn't it nouns and verbs come from but we don't know where adjectives come from right mm. um the handles of being and i'm always mm. like yes <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah there's also the um the novelist iris murdoch that i'm obsessed with and her characters often go into art museums looking for something like looking for an affirmation of life looking to understand themselves better in the world um and i mean the art the art in this piece it's entirely about the or it is heavily i think about the relationship of the viewer and then of course the viewers to each other and so it's really interesting um that it's about this experience of art that's placed among people Mm -hmm. and yeah and also when I read the ocean drawn in pencil I was like that sounds like Bia Selman's and yes, then exactly. I looked in the notes yes. and I was like it was Bia <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's Gerhard Richter is the blonde one reading the newspaper and the Dutch painting is Vermeer which is has its own poem so there's mm-hmm. a detail of this mm-hmm. poem as its own poem mm-hmm. um yeah I was really interested in having the poem become its own painting of Mm. self-portraits of the two women yes kind of um making a private Mm. collection the Mm. public museum and uh i think going back to self-portraiture that also Mm. goes back to frida who's uh a huge influence and also madonna so yeah Mm. always thinking of Mm -hmm. the self-portraiture of women and also of myself as the poet trying to become this artist so I feel like there's this kind of meta thread coming yeah um that's kind of explored and kind of the self-creation yeah and self-exploring as the writer as the viewer yes oh yes to everything you just said um I mean the the you know the the poem as the painting and the self-portraiture and the feminine gaze, um, mm-hmm. yeah. which I mean, I still find one of the most exciting presences in art ever, because I think it's, it's done so rarely. It's still done so rarely. I still, reading your book, I still felt like this isn't done all the time this is not mm. done all the time it's like watching portrait of a woman that's what i was gonna say that was the last film i saw in the movie theater oh, before the God. pandemic mm. and and then i watched it on hulu and then i'm just uh, watching all the time i'm just like oh my gosh this is like every single frame yeah, yeah. Oh, yes it's, exquisite yeah mm-hmm. and it's it really is radical. Like it really mm-hmm. is not, I think it's really easy to feel like, oh, things must surely be equal. We must have, we must have plenty of books, you know, with, with women looking at other women and films with women, but it's, but when it's done, your, your jaw drops because you're not used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I had a student who I had, I had, 
pulled a bunch of different texts by women. And, and at one point I was like, oh, if you notice we, this week, we've been reading all short stories by women. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of my students got a little upset and was like, <laughs> what about, what about like, or, and we were talking about different perspectives and they were like, well, what about the white male perspective? And I was like, and I was just looking at them and I, you know, this is in Durham, North Carolina. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, every, everything is, <laughs> if you notice, you know, but it's invisible. It's to the point where it's invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then everything else feels like, like, I don't know. It's just, it is still really incredible to think about. Mm, yeah. That it's surprising that, mm-hmm. I mean, you read a Rookheiser poem, right? Mm-hmm. That takes place between two women. Mm-hmm. You read Adrian Rich's, the, you know, 21 floating love mm-hmm. poems. You read, mm-hmm. and these things still feel so mm-hmm. surprising to me. Yeah. yeah. And that's wild kind of, but yeah. Mm. And it's not in, in relationship poems and love poems are not, I think they're also not easy they're not easy to write too. Um, and they take a lot of discipline, a self-discipline, I think, cause you're having to really balance your ego and, um, the For other. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I wrote probably a hundred poems over the decade mm-hmm. that it took to get this book together and a lot of poems I just needed to write for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did have that navigation of like, oh, am I, that question of, oh, am I complicating their, like, am I showing enough about, but then I thought, well, the book is not about the relationship, it's about the after, and so, and it's not a memoir, that could yeah. be, that could happen later if yeah. I wanted to, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm thinking about um, how to, portray the complexities of a relationship is is hugely challenging like you said navigating ego and also time and also youth mm-hmm. <laughs> and perspective and yeah I find it changes all the time yeah and uh, I mean what you said there about I mean it sounded like you were also talking about what you know what belongs in a particular book's narrative and sometimes you realize like I've been working on a manuscript and, you know, in, in real life, both my sisters are very involved in it. And I'd realized over time that one of my sisters had kind of dropped out and like, she's obviously still a living presence in my life, but I realized like not a part of the manuscript. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it kind of, I feel like it, it comes down to like, tell the truth, but don't let facts get in your way <laughs> you know, like, you're still <laughs> right. you're still making a piece of art right, right and right. um yeah and every time I teach like a intro class I'm always explaining again like this is why we say the speaker right because right. even if you write a poem like self-portrait in the bathroom mirror and it's you mm-hmm. you're creating a character of yourself you're, you're creating that like mm-hmm. that everything you everything that comes out of you is basically creative so like yeah. it, you have you know it's not you it's like the pipe like this Mm -hmm. is a pipe or or this is not a pipe you know (laughs) so yeah that level yeah yeah I really admire people who can write memoirs because that's so much time with the past Mm. (laughs) and yeah it's it is hard to take 
what's happened and to make it into art and to navigate that transformation mm -hmm. into a speaker and what how do you position the speaker and what what does the speaker say and not say and mm -hmm. does it always leave out yeah yeah memoirs its own I mean I think I'm I'm dealing with the there's no way you end up I don't know I just think most if a good memoir you're not very likable mm -hmm. because you're trying to be truthful on some level however that's done yeah. um so <laughs> yeah but I'm really in love with kind of the short forms that are everywhere right now um and I, I really in terms of like sitting with the tension like it's so much easier to sit with a poem mm. um if you struggle with attention like a shorter piece like something that you see the end of something you can yeah. kind of wrap your mind around it being yeah. a certain size even if it's going to blow your mind on the page about what size it is or what it can do in such a small space right it's um yeah can we talk um and maybe there's a poem you'd like to read i'd love that um about Fire Island as a creative and geographical locus in as she appears because um, you're very much a West Coast poet, right? You live in San Francisco and we had to get our times aligned for this, <laughs> for our meeting today. Um, and um, in fact, I had this like hilarious moment because I've never been to New York and I had this hilarious moment where I was like, wait, is Fire Island West Coast? And I was like, have I somehow in my head been this like East coast person who's like, no, it's <laughs> clearly on my coast or something. Um, yeah. And I was like, it's just so Frank O'Hara in my mind, you know, it's a, right. in fact, there's that piece, um, Frank O'Hara's last night. I haven't read it yet, but mm -hmm. in Vanity mm -hmm. Fair, but I've got it up on my computer. So it's, mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I would love, I'd love to hear more about Fire Island and in your work. Sure. Yeah. So um, some biographical background. So I lived in New York City from 2002 to 2010 with my partner at the time. And we spent a couple summer vacations on Fire Island, which uh, is the barrier island south of Long Island. So it's 32 miles long. It's very narrow island. Um, the width changes throughout, but where I was, I could walk from the bay side to the ocean side in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very narrow in certain parts. And I guess it's a, a sort of LGBTQ destination, but I would say primarily known as a, a gay destination. I think people do live there year round, but primarily a summer destination. and. Uh, that's where Frank O'Hara was sleeping on the beach and got hit by a, they call it like a dune buggy because there's no cars on the island. Um, so that's one of its notorious reasons why it's known. Um, but I returned there in 2018 as a, a resident through the National Park Service, which is really cool. Um, oh, wow. They gave me a, a ranger house, which is this house on stilts I think like a three bedroom um for two wow. weeks starting with Memorial Day weekend mm. which 
was hugely or very very crowded mm -hmm. um my college roommate in Queens dropped me off at the railway station at the Long Island Railroad and that's when all the rich people were trying to get to the Hamptons which is at the very end of Long Island oh it was Memorial Day weekend and like there are women literally screaming on the platform because everyone just surging to get on the, oh, the train. Wow. So it's pretty intense. Um, but there I found, even though it was only two weeks, I found that I was really writing the poems that would become the heart of the manuscript, I think, because they were site specific and had that um, backwards and forward um, looking gaze in a place that I did have a history but in many ways still felt like it wasn't for me or for us as queer women of color um, mm -hmm. so I think that led to, to different sort of meditations on the land and mm -hmm. protection and queer landscape which reminds me of that anthology that just came out, Queer Nature, which I'm super excited oh. to read um, and think more about queer landscapes and queer nature. Because I think, and especially, and also queer people of color, poet nature too, because I think that that is a, a huge area. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to that abundance. Yeah. It's um, the fact that it brings together in so much. I feel like when you find the right place um, and like the motivating, one of the motivating places, or I mean, I, I like the word locus for this, just, um, which by the way, I first heard in a college English class by a student I considered much smarter than myself. And at first I thought he was saying locust, and it was like, what, what is he saying? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just something that like, you know, does kind of absorb energy and um, a meaning around itself. And it's just kind of creative. I mean, I just, I loved, I, um, I know I've kind of been touching on poems early in your book, but I just, I feel like um, the setup, you know, it sounds it sounds so shop talking to say like the setup for the but like you do you just feel like you're entering through um a number of different doors to get into the palms and they're all like they're just so perfectly set up and it's not like uniform and it's not you know there's nothing about it that's like reproducible or like oh this is just simple simply how you set up a poetry manuscript like there's something about it that feels very serendipitous and you know I know there's so much labor that goes into it um but that fire island is one of those doors. Um, and so when you're thinking about environment and relationship and queerness, like it's doing all of this um, beautiful work. And um, yeah, I think does some really amazing um, claiming work in terms of like, because, right? Like we do think of um, Frank O'Hara, we do think of like a a, a white man like a gay tradition that's it's you know that there's that right and I mean many people claim Frank O'Hara as they rightly should as um kind of a literary ancestor or you know like um but I think it's like really beautiful to see it through the lens of as she appears 
Um, and I think that difference um, in the different ways we approach different you know, spaces according to how individual we are, that that's part, like always part of it. Um, yeah, would, would you like to read us one of one or two, the Fire Island poems? Sure. I'll start with Department of the Interior. Thank you. Department of the Interior. The tide calls the water of the body. Fire Island spans 32 miles and is drifting west. A maze cuts through the salt marsh, bridging bay to ocean. Where I wander is federal land, not a branched interlude of neon pool parties. I'm part of the sky paparazzi, dazed by its flaring, rainbow, rainbow, rainbow. Stumbling in the sand, I find only the crash of return. I've come to this barrier island again in the silence that follows a separation. Tomorrow, there will be three boats at various distances, one jet ski, lightning like a rumor of another realm. I try to divide 11 years, but cannot be held to exactness. My mind floats out to water and I am living through this world once. Weather advisory. It is foggy and the ferry will not travel east. The captain lost without his radar, sonar. Excuse me, sirs, this is a gay dancing emergency. Is heterosexuality the fog? I am slow with too much time, dressed in four shades of gray and a streak of pink. Oh, it's an older crowd. Oh, that's me. We all had the same Madonna Whitney childhood. Set to synthesizer, set to synthesizer beats. Today, I tried to pluck a pine cone, but the stem said no. I'm sorry, tree. I meant to ask consent. Between the pines and cherry grove, there's one path for tourists, another for cruising. Among the rangers, I feel famous. Are you the writer? Hello, bird. I have no sweetness to offer the bees. Where did Frank O'Hara wander and fall asleep on the beach? The first inhabitant of Fire Island was a shipwrecker. He lured ships to shore and killed the crews. It is not certain whether the island is named for these morning flames or its sunsets. I am a fire sign. Who should I touch with this burning? I loop along the bay, the marina, the beach, emptied of families. In the straight neighborhood, I watch men on break, pause one by one to take in my neon floral shorts. They reveal my kiss of a birthmark, the walk of a messy haired woman, some far away flower. Thank you. Thank you.
was the recording okay that I repeated that line? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Cool. That's perfect. Okay. Thank you. Um, just turning back to Department of the Interior. Oh. With, um, I feel like Elizabeth Bishop appearing there with rainbow, rainbow, rainbow from the fish is, um, again, like, reclaiming work that it's doing it you know it's kind of tracing a different uh line of poets through fire island um which i really love and also that you read weather forecast and or sorry i'm, I'm sorry weather advisory um and then you have your forecast poems right in in um the summer and autumn do i say autumn or fall i always have to check the fall the winter and spring. Um, yeah, and it always makes me think of an emotional weather, right? Um, yeah. An yeah, interior what, weather. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a real challenge to, to put the book together since mm -hmm. I had those fashion forecast poems, which in some ways felt very different because they're about fashion and I sort of created these models as kind of my my backup girls <laughs> along yeah. the speaker's journey as um, I imagine them as sort of sapphic companions going to the island at the very end and I was interested in in thinking about women who whose job it is, is to be visual and then having um, time off of the runway and into the world as playful, loving women in friendship to the speakers mm -hmm. and also being interested in transformation and possibility and play in terms of femme expression. Mm -hmm. um, but also it was interesting because if I had these four seasonal poems, I thought, well, I think I'm sort of stuck with dividing the poem, the book, I'm stuck with dividing the book into sections by season mm -hmm. in order. And I did have poems that referenced spring with flowers or winter with ice and, and thought, is this going to work out mm. if I <laughs> organize by seasonal mm. reference um, so I started to think of the spring and the fall being moments of transit mm. and then the summer and winter being times of hibernation and retreat mm. Mm -hmm. although there is some deviation from that since we have pride month in the summer which is very ecstatic and collective and social but that was sort of my my way of organizing around seasons yeah. to try to create that arc, so to speak. I think Vermeer is um, a really, really interesting and and good presence um, for you in, in your book. You know, I think the color yellow too, right? Because Vermeer is so into light. Um, 
and the colors in Vermeer are so like they're so soft but they're so vibrant and um apparently there's like a whole Vermeer versus Rembrandt like debate out there I didn't know this um but I fall solidly on the Vermeer side of things 100 (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny it's um yeah I guess (laughs) Rembrandt people get like really into how he paints eyes and um, but he's just got like that muddy that dark quality that a lot of times I'm like I appreciate it like I enjoy Rembrandt but I just want to stand in front of Vermeer for a while, you know. Right. It's- <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The painting I I write about, I would visit it whenever I could at the Met because it's only the size of a, a notebook sheet of paper. Mm. It's so small and just phenomenal the how he he painted it in the sixteen hundreds using the camera obscura and mm. and like mm-hmm. you said, yeah, his his colors are are so incredible and they remind me actually of. Um, certain stills from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, just that brilliant blues and and golds and yeah, you know, light coming, the oh, yeah. natural light coming through. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too that we touched on like self portraiture earlier, and um, that's where it's it like really emerges. And from the 17th century with the proliferation of mirrors and like mm-hmm. the artist could actually get a hold of mirrors and then mm-hmm. the cheapest model of all is yourself if you have a mirror um and so it's so uh, like i just find it so fascinating like the way technology and and mm-hmm. import and you know colonial like it's all it's all this yeah. like big big um it's like this combustion in the 17th century yeah yeah that's really interesting i just had this conversation with um Jody Mack who's an animator and filmmaker and mm-hmm. she's doing a lot of research on um the camera and is drawing it all the way up to TikTok as a mm-hmm. form of self-portraiture and yeah. ways in which it animates people mm-hmm. who have died and this and ghosts and yeah. presences and animation. It's just like fascinating to think about how, yeah, TikTok is changing our ideas about perception and the image moving. Yeah. Yeah. That really makes me think about, I was talking with my partner about how um, different, like, because I want to say children, but it's really just like youth. I'm not sure there's a better word for youth. (laughs) (laughs) Teens, but that doesn't sound, you know, like young adults, right? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. That they're um like the with social media, they're so much more plugged into the adult world and adult news and how when we were younger and like the invasion of Iraq happened it was like something it was some ways and of course this is a lot of white privilege and I come from a military background too but it's like it happened to our parents it wasn't yeah. and it's so different now I think um with access to mm-hmm. information and um I mean it really makes you think among other things coming back to your book about quietness and um it makes you think about you know, spaces that need to be preserved for quietness. Mm -hmm. And then it also makes you think of some of the goods that come with 
like knowing the noise and mm-hmm. um, like being able to hear other people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think cause they're, some of us were raised with um, really oppressive silences too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, I feel like quietness really reaches into something you choose and it's, it's a different, mm-hmm. totally different quality in your book. Right. Yeah. That's something I, I'm really fascinated by and thinking about quietness and privacy mm-hmm. and silences and how silence can be something that is comfortable or uncomfortable. It could mm-hmm. be the silence of awe. It could be the silence of intimacy but it could also be silence of contention or hesitation or doubt um and I think as a quiet introverted um Chinese American woman there's always that moment when I'm in any encounter where I wonder whether the other person thinks that you know I don't speak English or I don't understand um, by perceiving me in my silence or quietness mm-hmm. um, and I think that also is another layer as a, a queer woman you know in terms of um, having a voice not having a voice and how being quiet can be a resistance mm-hmm. um, for privacy and um, refusing to be legible, mm-hmm. but then at other times, and at the end, in the last line especially, it's it becomes a no. I want to be understood and mm-hmm. to declare, yeah, and to risk intimacy. Um, as a, a person wants to be in the world and among others. So yeah, I think there's just kind of this ambivalence throughout about quietness and sanctuary, but also um, resistance or subversiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, when you were speaking, I was thinking about Salmaz Sharif's poem, Hymn Two from customs and how like while this customs agent is being just horrible to the speaker the speaker is like crafting like maybe not they're doing not doing it in that moment but that it becomes this poem and like the poem is the response and the poem is like you know I, I think the poem is the beautiful answer to the whole is the spirit of the staircase which is like you think of what you want to say when you're walking away from the person or when you're already down the stairs um, that you can actually go back in poetry and be like, well, this is what I actually think. Right. <laughs> and I think that's such a, a common experience for people of color and women of color and gems because sometimes, you know, we don't have the energy or it doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. to be honest or to speak, but we're taking notes. <laughs> we have receipts. So yeah, that can come out in different ways. But um, yeah, there is that, that way in which, yeah, it's 
exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I just, like I said, I was binging Sally Rooney and um, mm. I watched Normal People and I was amazed by the way one of the like main characters um, would respond with, hmm, a lot, like to a lot of time, moments. And I was like, it was so like, it, it wasn't like it was just non-committal, but I don't know. It was so like powerful the way it came across that they yeah. were like, not, they were acknowledging, like but they weren't quite taking the bait. To, like, I like and I was that. like, I need yeah. to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And like not expending that energy. Right. right like you exactly. said. Yeah. Mm. Reminds me of certain workshops. <laughs> yeah. <That's interesting. laughs> uh, yeah. Writing notes to the yes to the writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all our spicy marginalia that we'll probably yeah. never share with people, but we have exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a story behind the story. <laughs> always. Always. Um. Yeah. Yeah, there was that. I mean, to come back to the uh, the the feminine gaze that we mentioned earlier too, there was like that tick wasn't it that TikTok or it was like a reel or something where, um, it was all about interpreting like it was like a femme person's um, like bodily reactions, like the way they were responding to something without saying anything, and just mm-hmm. all the different moves, and you just realize like how many small quiet moves there are. And it can feel like I just, a lot of times I get on Twitter and it's so noisy. I just exit immediately. Um, And I know I'm part of the noise. So apologies, everyone. Um, (laughs) It's just like whether I can deal with it at that moment. But everything feels so loud so often. And, um, you know, it's almost easy to forget that we, it's easy to forget that we have quiet ways of responding. And then everything doesn't need to be big. And there's so many things that happen that people never even see, like so many engagements. And um, and I think it's on that level of like where, you know, right? It's, it's the interior life that has expression, but it can have very small expression. And I think that that's something your poems really, really hold in focus, which made your book such a deeply pleasurable experience and I feel like people who love looking at art and people um it's like it's like people watching but in like an intimate way um I feel like that 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 is the reader you're you're you know among other readers that's who your book is for would you like to close this out with a poem yes Pride Month, and has an epigraph from Anne Sexton. It is June, I am tired of being brave. It is June, and I read about having grace to forgive those who would condemn us. It is June, and a man reads a poem where the father becomes a dying stag, and the son says, there's something I need to tell you. It was June when I was awake past midnight, gathering news about the Pulse nightclub shooting. I fell asleep knowing I would wake to walk against grief in waves. 
It is June and I'm happy that Tegan and Sarah will appear in San Francisco or Oakland. It is June and I have never prayed to any God. It was New York in the 2000s when my ex ran the chaos backstage at the Pride Pier Dance. In strobing summer heat, we slid through a sea of men with shaved chests. The songs hardly had words and the bass shuddered into our bodies. Fireworks climaxed over the Hudson and the crowd rocked and roared back. I stood in a tropical sundress in the VIP section, surrounded by so many barely dressed people, double kissing my face, saying, happy pride, and where is your wife? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's beautiful. I hope all good things to your book as um, you continue your book tour and um, where can people, well, let me see. First of all, can readers and listeners um, find signed copies of your book and also your tour information and all that good stuff? Oh, sure. Uh, Yes, you can. I have a contact form on my website, which is shelly-wong.com. And there's also links to my press, Yes, Yes Books, where you can buy directly or support any amazing local independent bookstore. And there's also tour information. I'm doing sort of a, a slow tour, a mix of mostly local readings, but there are some virtual and I am going to the Northeast in July and the North Pacific Northwest in November with Yes, Yes Books. So Wonderful. that's exciting to look forward to. Great. Thank you so much. And we'll include um, links to Shelly's website and a book link purchase, everything in our show notes. You can find those there. And yeah, we're so excited to, to feature your you're beautiful as she appears on a poetry podcast and we just wish you the best with your book thank you so much thank you